Well, if you have your, your Bible, we're continuing in a series called What Jesus Said, okay? What Jesus Said. And today, uh, I, I'm going to speak a message to you uh, uh, titled, What Jesus Said About the Heart of the Father. Now, in preparation for this message, uh, uh, you know, as I was uh, just kind of getting ready and saying, Lord, what, what do you want me to share on this week? Um, I actually had an event yesterday, which I knew was coming, um, uh, and, and all the week leading up to that event uh, actually kind of got me thinking about what I'm going to share today. You see, yesterday, uh, Pastor Corey and my daughter revealed that they will be having a little girl. So that's really exciting. Yep, yep, yep. That's awesome. And uh, I, I think, you know, in, in all of my wisdom that I've, I've, I, I'm, I'm not a grandparent yet, okay? I'm really, I mean, 35 is kind of young to be a grandfather. Uh, just saying. Some of you are going, why is everybody laughing? Uh, anyways, um, it's because I'm 36. Um, uh, here's, here's, as I was thinking about all of this and going through this gender reveal, you know, I've been really thinking about what it means to be a grandfather, and I have decided that it is a mixture of two things, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, grandparents, correct me, I think it's a mixture of two things. I think it's a mixture of love and revenge, okay? Uh, love and revenge, okay? So it's like, it's, I'm going to spoil her rotten and send her home. Awesome. It's so good. It's so good. And you know, Share that cross and get deliverance after the service. Awesome. Actually, today, you know, uh, you know, as, I, as I'm really wanting to share what Jesus said about the heart of the Father, it's really important that we understand that Jesus' teaching us is not just so that we are able to have a gotcha moment with people who are, stand opposed to the cross. You know, uh, for, for young people out there, you love YouTube, you love Facebook, you love social media, uh, there are all these videos out there that like are so-and-so destroyed someone else, and those are the ones that get the clicks, those are the ones that get the watches, those are the ones that people really engage on. Ah, oh, they really took them out, and sometimes believers... They, they go into the word and they study the word because we want a gotcha moment when somebody comes against Christ or comes against Christianity and we kind of want these, these moments where we can, quote unquote, feel good about defending the faith. And let me say to you that while I understand uh, the, the biblical understanding of, of, of what it means to genuinely give a defense for your faith, our faith needs no defending, and it needs more representing. And so when you, when you read the words in the passages that Jesus taught from, I don't want you to think that, wow, I am, I am suddenly more prepared to simply give an answer when all along Jesus says, I'm actually going to send the Holy Spirit to you, and you're going to have to learn how to rely on him because he's the one that's going to give you the things to say in that hour. Because the Holy Spirit knows what to say in order to bring about God's kinds of, of results in people's lives. Okay? So, 
When we go to the scriptures and when we see what Jesus said, we need to some, uh, understand that there is something deeper at work. You see, Jesus said this in John chapter 6, verse 63. He says, uh, it, it's the spirit that gives life and the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak, they are what? They are spirit and they are? Life. Say it again. The words that I speak, they are? Spirit. And they are? Life. Notice that when he says his words are spirit and they are life, the word spirit uh, is translated a couple of different ways. It means, it means the wind of God, the breath of God. And then he says it is also the life. You need to understand that, that Jesus is not just simply trying to give you a few concepts to live by. He is trying to make you to receive something on a deeper level that will compel you to walk and become who he has created you to be. So when we take in the words that Jesus said, it's really important. Why? Because we as the church need to be filled with God's spirit and God's life in order to be a light in this last hour. Now, when I mentioned a grandparent, you know, probably a lot of you had a lot of things that, that come, uh, come to mind. And when I mentioned uh, the word father, maybe a lot of things come to mind. And when I say words like this, Father God, other things come to mind. Today, what I believe God wants me to address to you is actually this idea that it could be that you have an image of God that doesn't accurately reflect him. Or that you've been leaning on only one side of his nature and God wants you to see a, a, a more full perspective of who he is. It is really important that you see God, that you see the Father for who he is. Not for just who you, you project him to be or who your experience maybe tells you that a father is. He wants you to know him for who he is. A.W. Tozer actually mentioned how important this is in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Worship is pure or base as the worship entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. The most pretentious fact about any man is not what, at, what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. This is true not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that composes the church. We tend to move toward that mental image. But how many of you know, if we have the wrong mental image of God, if it's not built on a full revelation of who he is coming from Christ, we may actually run away from a father. Because we grew up in a situation where God, uh, you know, where, or our fathers were abusive or they mistreated us. And so when you hear Jesus pray words that actually sent sent an earthquake in the spirit. He prayed these words for the first time. It's not in the Old Testament. He said, our father, and introduced an, a brand new idea. 
that God is father. And some theologians of the day got angry because if he calls God his father, then that makes him equal with God. He's all of a sudden introducing an idea. And so here's what I need you to know, church. God wants you to see the Father for who he is. And we're going to look today at a familiar passage, but I actually believe we're going to find ourselves in this very familiar passage in Luke chapter 15. Now, if you have the Bible app, you can certainly launch it, and all these notes will be there. This is where Jesus is actually teaching a a series of parables about a lost sheep. You remember that lost sheep? That sheep that leaves the fold and and the good shepherd leaves the 99 and goes and finds the one, brings them back and celebrates, right? Then there's the parable of the lost coin. There was 10 coins, one falls out, it's lost. They clean the house, they find the coin, they celebrate. And the third in this series of parables is this, what we're about to read. It's really the parable of the lost son. Most of us know it um, by uh, whoever put the negative titles on these stories. (laughs) This is known as the story of the prodigal son. And by the way, we as Christians, we're really good at giving people negative labels. We're really good at it. And we should be terrible at it. (laughs) This story should be called the redeemed heir. Not the prodigal son. I mean, yes, he did do some things that I'm sure that bring, didn't bring him honor, didn't bring him rest, didn't bring him peace. But the way he ends up in this story is directly connected to the heart of the father. And today, I want to read you this story. And I believe God is going to give us some revelation about the heart of the father. So from Luke chapter 15, we're going to begin in verse 11. This is Jesus speaking. He said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all... When he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this 
this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be Mary. Now, I want to give you a little Jewish context for this because we're all Gentiles and we don't really understand everything that is being spoken here by Jesus to a Jewish audience. This man had two sons. When this younger son goes to his dad and says, give to me what belongs to me, here's what he's asking for. He is asking for one third of all the father owned. There is an older son in this story, if you know it well. The older son would have been given two-thirds in Jewish tradition. Why? Because the older son had to take care of the father and mother and any of the the things connected to the land. He had a greater responsibility. So two-thirds, a greater portion, was given, by the way, to the faithful son. Let me just give you that for free. A greater portion was rendered... To the older son, the one that was in the house, the one that was doing the right thing, even though he had some issues. We're not going to talk about the older son today. But the younger son came to his dad and said this, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. Why? Because you don't get an inheritance until the father dies. So I want us to wipe the veneer off of what Jesus is describing. He is not describing a perfect Jewish family. This is one that actually looks like it's got some trouble going on in it. And by the way, Jesus uses this parable to give a revelation of God. So by the way, if you have got a thought that the church is filled with a bunch of perfect people, read this parable. Because there's people with all kinds of ideas and all kinds of things that they bring to the family of God. And if you're perfect and you're here today, get out. You're going to ruin this thing that we've got going on here. Because here's what we are here at Calvary Church. Here's what we are. We are not perfect people. We just run to the perfect one. That is who we are. We are perfectly uh, in need of God. Now, this father all along, if you read the whole story, he's amazing. But I want, I, want to, I want to ask a question because when I read the Bible, these questions just pop up in my spirit. He's living with this father. What caused this son to wander away from a really, really good father? Here's what it is. Here's what I believe it is. He actually held a skewed view of who his father was. He actually didn't know how good his father was, even when he was in the house. And I'm praying today for those who are under the sound of my voice here and those who are watching online, I'm praying that if you are in God's house and there's some things that are going on internally right now, 
that are troubling you, that are messing with you on the inside, I'm praying that you would have a revelation before you would ever have to go through this kind of situation. What would cause this son to wonder? Here's, what it, here's what, really what it is. It's a sin condition. We really, we all have this sin condition. Well, what is sin? Sin actually falls into three neat categories. It's defined in 1 John. And it's this. It's for all that is in the world, it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And it's not of the Father, but is of the world. You see, his skewed view of his father led to sin. And it fell into these three categories in the story. Here's what you find. First of all, that there is this lust of the flesh. Now, the lust of the flesh says this, and you should write these down. You should know this. It says this, especially if you're a young person here, I want to experience. The lust of the flesh says, I want to experience. Now, we, we get something in verse 30 from the older brother he says, he says these words, he says, as soon as this son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him? So he's upset that the father is so good. But what happened? You get in this conversation that the younger son was actually pulled out of the house by the lust of the flesh. This thing, I want to experience something. Like something else that I experience is going to lead me to a greater sense of satisfaction. How many of you know that just being a common reader of the Bible, you would know that it is not a good plan to take your retirement and spend it on prostitutes. I mean, you don't have to be wise to know that. Okay? It's not, it's not a wise thing. There's so much. Right now, I'm, I'm getting victory. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold my tongue. All right. <laughs> it's not wise to do those things. And we know that. We can see that. But how many of you have ever been in a moment where, where you found yourself, you know, you're in the kingdom. Maybe you're in church. But all of a sudden, there's something that is drawing you that you know stands opposed to what God wants for you. But there's something drawing you because it's something inside of you saying, I want to experience that. You know what that is? That's the lust of the flesh. It's sin. Well, let's look at the, let's look at the next, one, next one. They're all in this story. The lust of the eyes. Here's what the lust of the eyes says. I want to possess. Boy, this is a big one. I want to possess. And the younger came to his father and said, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to him his livelihood. He says, the lust of the eyes says, I want to possess. And then if I had something more, then I would be happy. If I just had more money, I would be happy. If I had more things, I would be happy. Now listen, this stands in direct contrast to the words of Jesus. Here's what Jesus says. Life is more than the things you possess. Therefore, lay up treasures in heaven where thieves cannot break in and steal. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, these are powerful words. Life is more than what you possess. And boy, I tell you what, there is this sneaky spirit that tries to come into the church that says, you know what? Uh, 
God, God is good, but man, if I just had this, if I just had that house, that car, this thing, that thing, that thing, then I would be at peace. Then I would have a greater sense of well-being. No, you wouldn't. What is that? It's the lust of the eyes. Is it okay for you to have resources? Listen, I'm praying God raises up billionaires in here. Any candidates? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I'm believing for you. I'm believing for you. Why? Just so you can possess more? No. Here's why. So that you could be used to fund the kingdom. Because, because resources in the right hands actually expands the kingdom. But resources in the wrong hands will crush the heart that's meant to be given to the king. It's the lust of the eyes. So, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, I want to possess... What else is in this story? Pride of life. It says this, I want to rule. I want to be in charge. Hello. And not many days after, the young son gathered all together and journeyed right out of Citrus County. Which back. doesn't work. They always come back. <laughs> come on. I saw someone posting this week. You can never escape Citrus County. It's because God put some boundaries around you to try to keep you in his will. The pride of life. I want to be in charge. You know what this, what this son was saying? If I was in charge, I would be happier. I would be more fulfilled. It is pride. And I promise you, location doesn't make you happy. You know why? Because you go with you. Right. <laughs> you see, now listen, what are all these things? It's sin. And I want to, I, I, I can't, I can't be, well, I can't say this strongly enough. Sin is the cancer of the spirit realm. Yeah, it is a killer. Yeah. It's not to be, it's not to be toyed with. It's not to say, oh, I can control it. No, you can't. It will eat you alive. There is one chemotherapy for the cancer of sin. It is the blood of Jesus and a life given fully to him. And that is where healing comes. But don't ever think you can manage sin because you can't. You see, sin is the promised shortcut that leads to destruction. It's Satan saying, no, just take this shortcut and you'll be happier. You'll be, you'll be more satisfied. And this is Satan, the deceiver, coming. Thinking, saying, giving indictments against the Father, all while promising much and delivering nothing. You see... Pride goes before destruction in Proverbs 16, 18, and a haughty spirit before a fall. All of this sin leads to destruction. But here's what I love about, what, about this young man when he finds himself in the middle of a fall. He finds himself in failure and in sin. You know what finds him? The father's heart. The father's heart finds him in the middle of rebellion. Is that anybody's testimony here? 
Like, God came and found you when you were in rebellion. Not when you were just good and you just, man, you know, I've been going to Sunday school my whole life and everything has been perfect. And then finally, when I had everything together, God came into my life. That is not my story. I prayed, I mean, the most selfish prayer on the planet. God, if you get me out of this one. Oh, I'm glad I got some witnesses in here. God, if you get me out of this one. And you know what God did? He did it. He answered that prayer. But three weeks later, after leaving a glorious service, listening to Phil Driscoll play his trumpet. Some of y'all know who he is. Anointed jazz musician, preacher, revivalist, awesome. I left that meeting thinking to myself, all right, that's enough. How do I get out? Where's the back door? That's what I was thinking. And you know what happened? The father's heart came and chased me down in my rebellion. Came and chased me down. And I don't know if we all in here need to remember that the father's heart didn't come you come and find you when you were fixed. It came and found you when you were broken. We need to remember this about God. Now, what, there, were, there were two things that I saw in this passage that I want to highlight to you that I actually think uh, were such a blessing. When I think of blessings, I would call a blessing a grace. Uh, grace is an undeserved gift. And there were two kinds of undeserved gifts that I want to... There's probably more in this story, but I want to I call two of them to your attention. There's an external grace and an internal grace. Here's the first one. The external grace. What was the external grace given to this son in rebellion? Here it is. Are you ready? A famine. The external gift given to a son in rebellion was famine. He began to be in want and then it got worse. Oh, I love God. It says, but when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. You should write this down. The awareness of our need is formed in the crucible of crisis. Do you understand? Most of us can quote the verse about being lukewarm and how God is about to spew you out of the mouth. Do you know that that was aimed at a church? Oh, we didn't know that, did we? That was the church in Laodicea. The church, the lukewarm church. And what was their sin? Here's what it was. They said... We are clothed, we are rich, and here's their sin. We have need of nothing. We have need of nothing. And here in this young man's life, the goodness of God shows up in a famine. And all of a sudden, he becomes very aware of his need of his father. Fast forward a couple thousand years to 2020. (laughs) 
Some of y'all have been really mad at the pandemic. It could be that it would end if you would allow it to produce what God wants it to produce. Maybe, maybe, and by the way, I'm not indicting God on sending it, but boy, God doesn't waste a thing. He doesn't waste a thing. And could it be that this pandemic has actually come upon us in this hour so that the crucible of crisis would make us aware of our need of God, that there was a great need that came upon us. And in this, in this time of pandemic, God says, no more giant of entertainment. And for months, movie theaters go empty and Hollywood can't produce their trash that everybody has gotten upset with with Netflix and all the other mess that's going on. Listen, God says, that's enough. And God says, what if you want to, you want to, men, you want to bury yourself in your sports? Guess what? You're not allowed to go and you'll have to watch them play in empty arenas. I'm going to cut it down. And all of the stuff that we were, we were covering up our need of God with, God says, I cut them all down. And what is it? It's an external grace to make us aware that what we really need is God. Stop cursing 2020. And oh man, because I'm going to look back at 2020 and I'm going to see it as the year that Calvary Church were, moved from one prayer meeting a week to four prayer meetings a week. Where we started assembling a team of intercessors Monday through Thursday and people are praying up and down the east coast of the United States as far away as Guam. Soldiers praying on the other side of the world. Why? Because we said we're not, we're not being pressed back by this. God, we're going to be pressed into your purpose in this hour. This grace, God. I don't know who it was. It's probably somebody in here. Probably someone in second service. Some of y'all in here was working too much. And God put the whole world on a Sabbath. Just so you'd slow down. Shame on you. I mean, I mean, after all, after all, you were the one that was saying, well, I really don't have time to read my Bible. I don't really have time to pray. What, what's your excuse now? Hello, that's an external grace. That's an external grace. What's God saying? Oh, come on. Uh, not only are you going to run out of the resource that you had been leaning on, but now I'm going to change the environment so that not even the environment can produce what you need. He's saying, listen, you need to turn back to me. It's the grace of God, the undeserved favor of God, pointing us back, saying, get back to me, making me first. Oh, but I love this. I love this. Notice what the son does next in the story. This is what it says. It says that he went and he what? He joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed the swine. Now, this is a Jewish guy. A young Jewish boy would never touch a pig. Would never feed a pig, wouldn't even go around a pig, has to go through ceremonial cleansing after being around a pig. 
When I say pig, you Gentiles think pulled pork, okay? That is not what he's thinking. And listen, I praise God on the daily for bacon, okay? I'm thankful. All right? But this is not the culture that he was in. You don't touch pigs. You know what this says? You'll always end up in a place when you're in sin that you never intended to be. You will actually have to go against your own calling and upbringing in sin. You'll have to actually forsake it to walk in it. I love this. You say, well, what's the internal grace? Here it is. Here it is. The internal grace is the need for covering. God puts something in the heart of men that we need to be covered by fathers. And can I just say this to you? Listen, the biggest issue facing America, if we could fix this issue, that, that we would stop having fatherless homes. If we could get fathers to stay home, to love God, and do their best to keep their marriages. I'm not saying all marriages can be saved, but I am saying that fathers can get saved, and fathers can start to stay home, and we can start to have some of these things get fixed. And all I, 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 I see all of this. Why? Because there's a longing in sons to be covered. And God put it there. And he knits himself just trying to fill that void to someone. I know that many times people knit themselves to the wrong things, the wrong causes, thinking that this will, this will meet my need. But what's it do? It actually leads to greater want. See, your covering determines where you sent. He was covered by this, this foreigner, and he was sent to the swine. And the wrong covering sends you to the place of convenience and compromise. Always. Always. It's always going to send you to the place. The wrong covering, you just do what the culture says is fine. You just go with the flow. You just you say uh, acceptable levels of addiction, acceptable levels of hatred and anger and racism, acceptable levels, and it is just complete nonsense. It will always lead you into the place of convenience and then ultimately compromise. You will have to compromise who you really are. When you join yourself to the wrong thing. When you're covered by the wrong ones. The right covering, however, points you to, towards your calling. Now, I love this. this. Those two graces, the external and the internal, they lead to this aha moment. This guy has an aha moment. Anybody ever have an aha moment? Like, oh, I'm stupid. <laughs> For those of you who like King James, I am stupidest. Okay. Or stupideth. Um, you, you have this aha moment. And, and the famine and this internal longing to be genuinely covered work together. And this is what he says. I love this. He starts talking to himself. And I know all of us can identify with this. Have you ever been in conflict with somebody and you argue with them and they're not there? 
Come on, you're holding in the chuckle because you don't want me to see you. But you think to yourself, you know, I'm going to say this, and if they say that, then I'm going to say this, and they're probably going to say that, and then I'm going to say this. And you are working out that conversation, and it's you in the car at a red light with someone looking at you going, Citrus County. I'm just saying, and you're, you're, you're having this internal conversation. Well, this aha moment leads to that kind of conversation. And by the way, it's still connected to a wrong view of the Father. Notice what he says. He says, I, I, I got to come up with a plan. I came to myself. He says, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and, and to spare and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. It's what I'm going to say. Father, I have sinned against heaven. No, 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 i got to say this. Father, I have sinned against heaven. Or maybe I'll say it this way. Father, I have, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called yourself. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now, his plan was good, but it's still connected to a wrong view of the Father. What's his plan? The good plan? Repentance. The good plan is to repent and to turn from sin. That is always a good plan. When you come to your senses, usually means this. I got to change. I am out of sorts. My life is spinning out of control. I, 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 you know, I, don't, I didn't know it when I was going into it. But boy, when I got there, lost everything, and the famine came, all of a sudden, I, by God's grace, came to my senses. And there is only one plan when you come to your senses. Repentance. And repentance in the Greek, in the New Testament, is the word metanoia. Metanoia means to change the way that you think. Now, if you grab hold of the, the Hebrew definition of the word repentance from the Old Testament, which means this, it means to change your direction and go in a new direction. You combine the two ideas, it means to have a change of thinking to agree with God's way of thinking that leads to a change in the way that you live. That is repentance. Repentance is not, I'm sorry, and I go right back to it. Repentance is saying, I have so seen that where I am is not where I belong, and it's not where you intend. I am changing my way of thinking, and it's leading me in a new direction. Repentance is a good plan. By the way, it's the only plan. It's the only plan. And church, if I, I feel like today there are some sons still in the house and I'm standing in the open door. Because God will let you go and wander and, and let you try in his own grace. He will let you say, if you think something else will bring you satisfaction, go and find out that I'm better than what you're seeking. But I'm going to stand in the door today and say, stay in the house. Repent of those things which are carrying you away, which are drawing you away from the good father that is in the house. If there's something that is pulling on you, repent. Is there something in you that you feel like is driving you away from God? Hit your knees, cry out to God and say, God, I'm sorry I haven't seen you for who you are. I love this. 
Repentance is what opens the door to your true identity, and it did it for the Son. And the heart of the Father is revealed really in one verse. Verse 20. So, the, so he arose, the Son, and he came to his Father. But when he was still, what, a great way off. He saw him, had compassion on him, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. I want to show you four things about the heart of the Father that are first to be received and then church to be reflected. They need to be experienced and then represented. The first thing that you need to know about the heart of the Father is that the Father saw him. The Father is watching. And listen, sons and daughters, I feel like the Father wants me to tell you he's been looking for you. If you're away from God today, he's been looking for you. He's looking for you. He's standing and watching and looking for you. He sees him afar off. And he sees you today. And you've wondered, has God turned his back on me? Has he just moved on away from me? I wonder if it will work for me. Here's what I've come to tell you today. The heart of the Father says, he is watching. He's still looking for you. He is looking for you to return. We sang it today, and listen, I know that sometimes these messages and the worship are so synchronized, it seems as if we get in, and we check verse, and we check chorus, and we check points, and it looks like everything, so, so, it's so symmetrical, you're like, these guys are the best planners in the world. We're not that good. We get into the secret place of prayer and God says, sing, sing this. And in the secret place, God says, preach this. And then in, in the beauty of his majesty, they marry. So we sing in the house. We are returning all while the father says, you tell them I'm on the porch and I'm looking for them to return. I'm looking for them to return. I'm looking. You say, you say, well, if that's what I'm to receive, how am I to reflect that? Here's how you do it. You live your life watching for those in your family who have not yet returned. You need to get back on the front porch of intercession. You need to get back into that place of prayer. You need to keep believing for that one who has walked away from God. Because, you listen, if God's on the porch, you need to be on the porch of intercession. If God is watching, then you need to be watching. If God is waiting in anticipation of a great return you need to stop throwing up your hands and saying there's no hope there is hope because God will put grace upon grace to bring sons and daughters home that's why we get into the place of prayer that's why we will call out every day until the Lord calls us home that's the heart of the father the second is this the father had compassion on him he said he saw him and had compassion. You should write this down. And you've got to receive this first. The father comes in love, not a lecture. The father first comes in love, not a lecture. The lecture comes. The wisdom of God 
you should find it and treasure it. By the way, I love the commands of God. I love the instruction of God. I do, as the, the scriptures, I delight in the law of the Lord and on it meditate day and night. Why? Because I want to be like a tree planted by the rivers of living water. I want, I want to be that one who's, who, who, who bears fruit in his season, whose the leaves of the trees are filled with grace. I, I, I want to be that one who is so nourished. How do you do it? By meditating on the instruction and in the law of God. I'm not afraid of God's counsel, but I got to I tell you here the father comes first in love not a lecture he has compassion what's the word compassion means it means it means this he comes alongside the suffering compassion means alongside suffering church if we forget the suffering that was in our lives because of sin, if you've been saved so long that you have forgotten the condition that God came and rescued in, you need to go back to the moment of communion that we sang about and say, I need to have compassion on people. By the way, this will work with people in the world that you disagree with. This is how we learn to walk in honor. You learn to first come alongside the hurting, even if what they believed was a lie. This is what the son did. He believed a lie about his dad. And the father had compassion. Why? Because he could see the suffering that sin had produced. And church, we need to do that as well. And if you're here and you're suffering in sin, we don't judge you because of that. We're coming alongside of you. But because of the great, except for the grace of God, we would be right where you are today. I just want you to know that there's a loving father who isn't going to ridicule you. He's going to have compassion on you. The next thing about the father's heart in this story is that the father ran to him. This actually shows God's humility. Most of us never think of God being humble, and yet he reveals his humility in this story. This is Jesus telling about the Father. This is a very much a very patriarchal society. Everybody serves Dad. Everybody serves Dad first in this culture. They give him the best plate. Everything else is served, and then it goes down. That's the way it works in this culture. But yet we find a Father who is walking, uh, who is watching, who has compassion and then runs. Now, he wasn't wearing Under Armour. <laughs> kind of like had two skirts. Yep. And in order for a father to run, he would have to reach all the way down to the edge of his garment, pull it up, and tuck it into his belt, exposing what normally is not exposed. He would pull it up, tuck it in, and lift the other side so he could run. It is a sign of humility and the lengths to which he would go to reach a son. You see, this is what separates Christianity from every other relation, every other religion in the world. You see, every other religion is man's attempt to reach God. And here we are in Christianity and God is attempting to reach man. Wow. 
God comes in mercy. It's what makes Romans 5 so profound that God demonstrated his own love toward us in this, that while we were sinners, while we were still out there on the road, he demonstrated his own love toward us in that Christ died for us. He runs in humility. Church, can I give you some advice? Never let the pride of a son lead to pride in you. You say, what's that mean? If you see someone wanting to run, wanting to come home, run to them. Don't wait on them to run to you. Don't wait on them. Just say, well, they, they, they're the ones that need to run. I gave them a third of everything. They should run to me. It's not what God does. This is the heart of the Father. Never let the, 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 the pride that's in a son become a seed of pride in your own heart. Let God teach people lessons. You stop trying to teach them so many lessons. Amen. That was free. The last thing is this. The father, the heart of the father, what did he do? He restored him. He said in this, in verse 20, he fell on his neck and he kissed him. See, this messed with the Jewish listeners. Why would this clean father go and touch a son that had been in a pig pen? Because he wanted to restore him. He fell on his neck and in his dirty condition forsook all social distancing protocols and kissed him. And then he says, bring out the robe. Remember what he, he, he rehearsed his line. I don't deserve to be your son. Just and before he gets to make me like one of your hired servants, dad cuts him off. He says, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. Dad cuts him off. And says, he kisses him. He says, bring the robe. Bring the ring of family. He goes, kill the fatted calf. We're going to celebrate. Why? Because my son that was dead is now alive. He restores him. Listen to me, listen to me. For those of you who've had a view of God that you think, well, he might let me into heaven, but he won't actually let me do what he called me to do before I fell away, you have a wrong view of the Father. You have a very different view than what Jesus is revealing here. He is saying, I want to restore you. I want to clothe you. But what do you do? You need to come through the door of repentance and God will come running and he's coming with restoration. This is the heart of the father. The son had repentance, right? But he didn't know the heart of the father to restore. And here's what I believe and I'll finish with this. There's a great exodus going on right now. See, Exodus is when 
Israel came out of Egypt. They came out of sin and into liberty. There's a great exodus going on, a great awakening on this planet. Many people coming to Christ. But what are we to do as the church? We are to ready ourselves for the many who will come in. And don't be a stumbling block to those who want to come in. Represent the heart of the Father. Be the one that is watching. Be the one that is full of compassion. Be the one that runs when they should be running. Be the one that actually restores instead of rebukes. Be that one. And we're going to see the greatest awakening and the greatest return to God that's ever hit this planet.